Let's get into the promises of God's word that we just sung about, that we trust him. His ways are higher than our own, and he tells us those promises we hold on to are found right here. As we continue in this series on parables, let's go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, stories that are deceptively simple, yet illustrate profound truth that after hearing them from the words, from the mouth of the Savior, God himself, Jesus Christ, we are to stop, act, we're to stop, think, and act upon what we just heard. So may we do that well today, and let me start by asking you this question, Sailorville. Are you content to just be saved? Are you content to just add church to your life, to go about your business as usual and add a little bit of Jesus on the side? Or do you want more? Do you want that abundant life that Jesus said he came to bring? He says, I've come to bring you life, and I've come to bring you life abundantly. Do you want that life that Jesus offers to you? Jesus models for us what abundant life looks like, that it isn't always easy, but the key to abundant life is a close, intimate relationship with God himself. And Luke shows us, we're in chapter 11 right now, but all the way up until this point, he's already given us seven instances where Jesus gets alone, sets a time specifically to pray. And so Luke shows us that one of the keys to intimacy with God, to an abundant life, is to pray and be in communication with God. And so what we're picking up this morning is another instance of Jesus praying and the disciples, they're watching him pray and they're looking in and observing his life. And this is what chapter 11 verse 1 says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your name be great. Your reputation be honored. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. But I want you to just to stop for a moment, because some of you just heard that, and you're thinking, oh, great, another message on prayer. I'm going to walk out of here feeling guilty. I know, Brad, what I already need to do. I'm not praying enough. I need to pray more, and I'm going to go out of here and just say, I'm going to do that, and then I'm not going to do it, okay? Stop. Now, the reason I know that you're thinking that right now is because I often feel that way myself when it comes to texts and messages on prayer. I know I'm supposed to do this more. I know this is a part of the Christian life. I know I'm gonna feel like a hypocrite when I don't do it more. Well, stop that. Get that out of your mind. And in fact, ask God right now in your heart and thank him for the opportunity to hear another message on prayer. Why don't we do that right now, okay? You pray with me. God, thank you that I can talk to you right now 
not on my own merits, but upon the merits of your son, Jesus Christ, to speak to you in a real relationship. Oh God, speak to us today through your word and may we respond in prayer. Jesus desires for you to have that abundant life and a huge component of that is to have communication with him in prayer. And Jesus is praying in this text and his disciples, they're watching. Can you imagine that? Looking in on Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, having communion and communication and fellowship with the first person of the Trinity, the one that he's had fellowship with through all of time, talking to each other. And the disciples are watching and they're saying, we don't pray like that. We want to. Jesus, teach us. John, John the Baptist, known for being a martyr, known to be a crazy guy that ate locust and honey, to the disciples, he was known for prayer. A guy who was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb and Jesus Christ himself, both seeing their need and their desire to want to pray. And John teaches his disciples and the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us to pray just like John did. So John, Jesus gives him a sample, a structure that we now know as the Lord's Prayer. And the first thing he tells him to do, he says, when you pray, address God as Father. Now this is amazing. We've heard Chuck teach on this before if you've been with us on a Sunday night, but the Old Testament only calls God Father six different times. And four of those are found in the book of Isaiah. Now the Jewish people didn't even say the name of God, let alone call him Father. And yet Jesus in his ministry is specifically showing people this is the kind of relationship that you are to have with God. This is the kind of way that you are to address God, to see him, see yourself as a child, and to see him as the Father. And John actually tells us and records that Jesus refers to God as Father 114 times alone in his book of John. John. And so Jesus is saying, and he's saying to us and to his disciples, if you want to have a life of consistent prayer, if you want to go deeper and understand prayer, you have to understand prayer in family terms. You have to understand prayer in family terms. And in particular, how a child relates to their dad. Now, children can get away with lots of things with their parents that no one else ever could, right? Like if I'm holding my youngest daughter when she was just a little bit younger and she goes in for a kiss and I turn around and she catches me right on the mouth and she's got a cold and there's snot just dripping down, right? It goes directly into my mouth and everything else that's on her mouth is right there. It's like, oh, I pull her back. It's like, that was disgusting, right? It's not that I enjoy it. But as a child, she gets away with it. Why? Because she's my, I'm her dad and she's my child. Now, if you come up to me after the service and somehow you get close enough to spit or drool into my mouth, there's gonna be some issues, right? Because we don't have that type of relationship. There'll probably be some kind of a lawsuit that comes as a result of it. All right, no, I wouldn't take, Christians don't take other Christians to court, but. There is something about that child relationship with a dad that's like no other. That's why Paul Sabino says prayer is crawling up into dad's lap at the end of the day in your footy pajamas and you're talking to him. You're having a conversation with him. Now I realize that for some of you this is a hard concept to grasp. I understand that not everyone in this room has had a great dad. 
I understand that not everybody, maybe your dad passed away when you were very young. Maybe your dad is non-existent. He hasn't been around. Maybe your dad was around and he was terrible. He was abusive. And the scariest thing ever is to crawl up into your dad's lap. Jesus is saying, God has come to be that father to you that you long for. That father that you desire. The one that accepts you with all your brokenness, all your bumps, everything about you. And he says, I love you. I love you. And just as a great dad says, I would do anything for you. Jesus is saying, this is better than the best father you could ever think of. A perfect God, a perfect father. This is what you're praying to and the kind of relationship that you are living in. And so Jesus gives him this model. He tells him how to pray. Address God as father. Ask for forgiveness. They keep you from temptation. Ask for your needs. And then he tells him a parable of how we are to approach God as father. Verse 5. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me some loaves, for I have a friend of mine who's arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And the friend will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is shut. My kids are with me in bed. I can't give up to give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his imprudence, that is, his shameful rudeness, he will get up and rise and give his friend whatever he needs. So Jesus tells a story of a man who goes to a friend's house at midnight. Now, this is not 12 a.m. in terms of when we would think of midnight. This is actually talking about midnight, the middle of the night. He comes to his friend, and the friend is sleeping, and he's startled by a knock on the door. (gasps) You know, you've been there before? What's going on? And the friend is knocking. He's shouting at him. He's saying, I need some bread. I need some bread right now. Give me some bread. And the friend, through his teeth, is, is in there. He's like, stop knocking. You're waking everybody up. What do you need bread for right now? Why couldn't the friend wait till morning, right? Did he have a hankering for a hot pocket? I don't know what it was, but he wanted some bread in that moment. Here's why. He had friends show up in the middle of the night. Now, people often in that time would travel through the evening to avoid the heat of the day. And so family, friends, would show up at your house unannounced. You had no idea that they were coming, and you were expected to invite them, to entertain them as guests, and to feed them. And everyone ate bread at every meal. And so hospitality was such a huge deal in this society. You couldn't wait till morning to feed your guests. They'd been traveling for so long. And so the guests would show up, and you would have no bread, and you wouldn't be able to invite them in. You would bring great shame upon yourself. Everyone would find out about it, that you were unhospitable to someone. You would bring great shame upon your family for for not providing for visitors. And in fact, your whole town could be shamed. They would know your town as a result of that, of not being a town that welcomes people when they come to show up. So there was a lot going on here. It's like if someone's coming to your house and you run out of TP. That's what it's like running out of bread, right? We've had cell group before, and my wife has said to me, you can't come home yet. We're out of toilet paper. You've got to go to Hy-Vee first, right? So this is what it was like. It was something so necessary and so needed that he goes to a friend's house in the middle of the night, and he's knocking. Give me some bread. Give me some bread. And his friend's like, no, everybody. 
everybody is asleep. Would you be quiet? I can't come to the door right now. If I do, I'm going to wake up everybody. Now, it wasn't like our houses today that have multiple rooms. They had one room, and actually, most of them actually shared one giant bed together. Parents, kids, everybody. If they weren't in the bed, they were very close to the bed. And actually, because it got so cold at night where they were, they would actually bring many of the animals inside as natural heaters. And so this guy is saying, i got to climb over everyone out of my bed, and then I'm going to step on a goat, and everybody's going to be awake, okay? I can't come out and help you right now, but his friend doesn't care. And he says, I need the bread. So he goes out, he gets it, he wakes up, everybody's awake. And did you notice that the, it, he, the friend doesn't say, wow, I want to help you so much as a friend. That's why I'm coming out to give you bread. He says, I'm coming out to give you bread so you'll leave me alone. And if I don't, you're not going to leave. So he opens the door. He's chucking the bread out at his friend. He slams it and everybody's awake. The goats are going crazy. And he's like, oh, how are we ever going to sleep now? And then Jesus gets done with the parable about how we're to approach God in prayer. And the disciples, maybe like ourselves, are a little bit confused. They're like, okay, so I'm supposed to really annoy God with prayer. And then he's going to respond to me after I really, really bother him until there's no other way that, he's going, that he knows I'm not going to leave him alone. That's how we're supposed to approach God. A little confusing, right? Well, this is a comparison parable. It isn't like some of the other ones we've already studied. Jesus is using the basic rabbinical teaching how the rabbis would have taught in that time was starting with a lesser and moving to a greater so he starts with us, the lesser. He says, this is what you are like when someone comes to you. You're bothered. You're annoyed. You're doing whatever you can to get them away. And he moves to the greater, and he says, but the father isn't like you. He's not like the guy inside the house that's annoyed that you're there, but the father jumps up with joy to receive you. He wants to hear your request. And so Jesus is saying, come shamelessly to the Father at midnight or whenever and make your request known to him. This is the kind of God that it is. It's not a far off God. It's not the man upstairs that you're bothering. It's a close relationship with a father. And Jesus says, come to him boldly. And he's not going to be like an earthly father that gets annoyed, but he's going to receive you. Come to him. And Jesus explains this further in verse 9. Look what it says. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. For what father among you, if he has a son, he asks for a fish, will instead give the fish to him, instead of a fish, a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, thanks Jesus, that's very kind, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So he sets up this picture of the willingness of the father now imagine your son or daughter comes to you and says, can, you get, can I have a fruit snack? And you go open the pantry and you say, oh, this is going to be great. You reach into the fruit snack box and you've got a snake in there waiting for this moment. He turns around and it's like, here's your fruit snack. It's like, ah, right? No good father does that. That'd be terrible. 
And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, you think you're going to come to the Father and he's going to give you a snake, but he wants what's best for you. He wants to give you good. When you ask for good things, he's going to give you what you ask for. That's why Philip Brooks says, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying a hold of God's willingness. This is a comparison parable. Jesus says, you are an evil dad. Okay, you do good from time to time, but really, you're evil, and you know how to good give, give good gifts to your children. Now, me as a guy who loves receiving gifts, I love even more giving gifts to my kids and watching their eyes light up and go, ah, this is exactly what I wanted. The father loves when, he, when the kid loves getting good gifts from him. And Jesus is saying, ask the father. He wants to give you good stuff. So the father wants you to approach him boldly. He wants you to come in boldness. But are most of our prayers bold? Or are they pretty shallow? Imagine that uh, you won with Amazon.com. You won uh, unlimited access to anything and everything, all that you could want for the rest of your life. And then they actually build like a distribution center right next to your house with everything. And they said, come in here anytime you want. Pick out anything you want and we'll get it for you. And the first day you walk in with unlimited resources, there's guys with pallets waiting to go get whatever you want. And you look in and you go, I'll have that Snickers. The guy's like, Snickers? This one right here. It's like, yeah. And when you hand it to me, I'm going to ask you to help it be nourishing to my body. All right? Thank you. Very good. And he says, that's it? It's like, yep. And you know what? I'm going to come back tonight right before I eat supper, and I'm going to ask you for a Snickers again. And that's what I'm going to ask for every single time. And yet we come to Jesus, and he says, ask me. You say, oh, God, would you just give me a good day today? It's like, are you serious? I have, I'm all-powerful. I have unlimited resources, and that's what you're going to ask me for. Here you go, Brad. Here's your good day. Enjoy it. Oh, God wants us to come to him so boldly to approach him as a child would approach a father. A child can ask a father anything more than he would ask anyone else. Do you know how many times I ask, can we go to Adventureland today? I mean, it never gets old to the kids, right? We come to the Father and we ask bold requests. Oh, God, would you do big things in my life, specific things in my life? And I don't want it to be because I didn't ask that I didn't get something, as James says. So come to the Father boldly. Make your request known to him. That's why as a staff on Thursdays, we get together and we fast and we pray and we ask that God would grant souls to know him, people that we're working with. And it's amazing when God answers that prayer and he says, he answered it. That person came to know Christ. That person has made a huge decision for him. I was even just sitting in a car the other day with my friend Tyler, and his car wasn't starting. It's like a 92 Lumina. I can't imagine why it wouldn't start. And he said, we stopped, and we prayed. I said, God, we should just make this thing start. We already got jumper cables coming. It's going to be a long time. And the Lumina gets going again, right? And I'm like, maybe that was just the way it was. Maybe it was just the 30th time. I don't think so. I think it was God specifically asking, answering the prayer of his 
children. And the Father wants you to approach him boldly, trusting his plan. He wants you to approach him boldly, trusting his plan. Your kingdom come, we're instructed to pray. This is how we're supposed to pray. Jesus says, pray that God's perfect will that's in heaven will come to earth and into your life. You see, the Father isn't going to give you what you don't need. And we have to come under that as his children and say, you as God know better than I do. You know better than me, and I'm going to trust you to give me what I need. Tim Keller says, it doesn't say that if you ask for a scorpion, God is going to give you a scorpion. He knows it's not going to be good for you. Children don't know always what dad is up to, but they know that he loves them. And we can trust him. He's going to give us what we need. Occasionally, from time to time, my kids will drink pop. And I even let them have sugar sometimes, too. And not like sugary things, just like right out of the jar, all right? So judge me. <laughs> but you know when I don't give them pop? Right before it's time to go to bed. Even when they're asking for it. Oh, I want it so bad. No. You're going to bed in 10 minutes. Selfishly, I'm thinking about me more than them, right? <laughs> but I know that that is not going to help them in that moment. Keller also says, your father gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. We see this even played out in the life of Christ. Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way we can bring salvation to humanity without doing it this way? But he says, not my will, but your will be done. And God's will doesn't mean that he's going to relieve all of your problems, but he's going to see you through them. We let our kids sleep in the basement the other night, and my daughter Jane comes up in the middle of the night, our youngest, and she startles us, and she goes, it's dark in the basement. I said, yes, it is. It's a basement. I said, I don't want to sleep down there anymore. So she crawls up into bed with us. And God promised us that even in trials, that they are for our good from the Father. Now, when Jane came up into our bed and then we put her back into her bed right next door, did the darkness subside? Did it go away? No, it didn't. But the, the relationship that they, she had, she was able to bear it in a new way. And God says, the Father says, trust me. I'm going to be with you through it. There might not be peace from the storm, but I promise you, if you trust me, you'll have peace in the midst of it, J.D. Greer says. Jesus is inviting you into a real, listen, Sailorville, he's inviting you into a real, thriving, growing relationship with him with the same access to God the Father that Jesus has. Jesus in the throne room of God right now, sitting, interceding for us. We have the same access to God the Father that the Son has. And with that in mind, the Father wants us to approach him boldly, trusting his plan over and over and over again. Jesus says, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. This is the Greek structure here. It's not a one-time asking. It's not a one-time knocking. 
Right? I heard one guy said, if you knock once, nobody's going to answer, right? You think just something fell off the wall. Knocking is continue. Oh, somebody's here. But what is he saying? He's not saying that you just ask repetitively over and over and over and over and over again, and then you get to some magical number, and then God finally responds to your prayer. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, can keep on asking, keep on knocking, live a life in relationship with me that is continually seeking me in prayer, not just in the dark moments, but all the time. Speak to me throughout your day and I will respond to you in my word and I give you my Holy Spirit. What he's saying is, just like you would text a friend or family member, what's going on in your life, he's saying, let me know about it, right? You text somebody. My dad found this app, Marco Polo, and he sent me an invitation on text, and I was like, Dad, I think you just spammed me. He's like, no, it's an awesome app where we can video each other and text and like let each other know what's going on throughout the day, and the whole family's on it, and we do that. We're like, hey, so I'm here right now, and I'm taking a blah, 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 right? And I was like, whoa, that's pretty neat. We're keeping each other in the know of what's going on with a continual relationship. This is what he means. Keep on asking. Keep on knocking. Keep talking to me as father. Well, let's stop. Let's think and let's act this morning. How's your relationship with God? Are you content to just be saved the Father is offering so much more for you. He's offering a real relationship. Are your prayers big? Do you really trust the, the song that you just sang? We're holding on to every promise that we, you've ever made. A prov, a God who has unlimited resources. Do you bring him big things? You know, so many of us have a tally that we have in other relationships, right? There's only so much we can ask of somebody before we have to wait a little while before we can ask them for something again, right? If you go to your boss, you have like a certain thing of, this is when I go ask him because I don't want to take away too many asks because eventually he's going to get tired of me asking. But a child has no idea of that. He has no tally in their minds, big or small. Right, your child's sitting next to you right now is asking you how many times till church is over, like 20 times already in this service, right? So this is how you approach God. Like a child to the father who has no tally and just keeps on asking. Grow up in maturity in your faith, but never lose sight of the relationship that you have with the father as his child. But maybe God isn't your father. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him. You see, when Jane came into my room at night, what I didn't do was sit up and go, how'd you get in here? Did you climb through a window? Was something broken? Did you make a copy of our house key? What are you doing in our bedroom? No, I didn't say that. Anyone else, though? It's exactly what I would have said. Anyone else would have had the police called on them. But why doesn't she? Because she lives in the house. This is the kind of access that you have to God. If you are his child, you can go from knocking outside on the door to coming inside and being amongst the family with God as your father. But you have to enter the way that God says you must. 
We've been going to the nursing home for quite some time now, myself, along with other students here at the church for many years in Des Moines, and there's one guy there named Glenn. And whenever we get done speaking, he comes up and he says, hey, Brad, you know we're all God's children. I said, Glenn, I like the cinnamon, but it's actually not true. We all have the opportunity to be God's children. But if we're not God's children, we aren't just uh, hanging out. We're actually enemies of God. Declaring enemy against the Father. But this is what Jesus, what John says of Jesus in John chapter 1. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in him. To all who enter the Father's house, you must enter through the Son. And he has provided a door, an entrance into the Father. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. If you enter through the door that the Father has provided through the Son, Jesus, you'll be saved. You'll be brought into the family. You see, God gave his only Son to rebels, to sinners, to people who were enemies of him, so that we could be adopted into his family, to be brought near through the sacrifice of the son, to enter in through the door. That's why he says, I will give the Holy Spirit. I will seal that person, and the third person of the Trinity, God himself, will come and take residence up in you. So you'll have residence of God inside of you, and you'll be living inside his house. And when you enter, you're no longer a stranger, an alien, no longer asking for bread at the door, but you're right there with the father, tugging on his sleeve and saying, Dad, Dad, I need you. I need you. And he isn't annoyed. He says, oh, go, I got busy. I got things going on. I'll talk to you later. He loves it. This is the kind of relationship that God offers to Christians. It's amazing. It's not like any other religion, no other belief system, You can't access God that way, and he sure doesn't give his only son so that you can be adopted into his family. Only the God of the Bible. That's a promise that he gives to all. All the fatherless, everyone can be loved and accepted by the Father. Father in heaven, you instruct us to pray that way, and I hope that we would never lose sight of what a privilege that is. To address you as such, that you would desire to have me in your family. That's crazy. And that you would pay to bring me into your family with the death of your son? And there's nothing I can do to enter the door but simply to believe that Jesus died and rose again? Oh, that's a good God. That's a glorious Father. And not to stop there, but invite me into relationship with you. Man, my desire, Lord, God, Father, is to please you because of that. God, we want to ask big things from you at Sailorville. You tell us to. We want to continue to plant churches. We want to see more and more people come to know you and be more like Jesus. We want to see others grow up in the faith and take hold of this. Would you give us a great year, God, of that? The best we've ever had. We know that you can do it. We're asking it, God. And we ask that your kingdom would come. 
lot. What a joy that would be is if you came this year. Establish your kingdom on earth. What a joy that would be. God, I thank you that when we sing, Lord, we need you. That's really an example of prayer. Every hour, every moment, I'm dependent upon my Father who knows my needs and loves me. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.